0: Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products that your customers love. And today we're talking about building a great product team. So in turn, they can build great products for our customers. And joining us as a returning guest, Vidya Dinamani. She's a product executive advisor and coach. She has over 20 years of experience in product management, including multiple executive roles at leading companies such as Intuit. I love talking with people with a background they are such a great place to build great product people. Vidya founded Product Rebels, which teaches people hands-on ways to become stronger, customer-focused product managers. She's coached hundreds of companies from startups to Fortune 50, and loves seeing people and teams transform when they understand how to build products that customers love. Something that we are all about here. Also, as a reminder, we do build a we build ourselves a written summary of everything that we discuss, including a one-page action guide to help you put immediately into action from the key takeaways that video will be sharing with us. And at the same time, it's a good discussion guide that you can share with others if you wanna discuss some of the concepts from a video. If you like those resources, please go to productmasterynow.com slash 463. This podcast is made possible by the Rapid Product Master Experience, the RPM Experience. This helps product VPs and others that are involved in leading product product sort of groups and projects to really increase their performance together, working in alignment towards those North Star objectives. It builds trust and collaboration along the way as we go through this RPM experience. This really helps new teams to get established or uh, existing teams that are facing, facing a new challenge together. And it works best over the course of nine weeks. We meet 75 minutes each week virtually, and we go through seven essential product knowledge areas that really help everyone get grounded and in the process building this trust and collaboration. It's not like normal training it is an experience that evolves as we go. Past companies have found it really helpful and, and useful to them. If you want to look into that yourself, please go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Vidya, thanks for being back with us again.
1: Oh, I'm so delighted to talk with you, chair. This is going to be fun.
0: Likewise, it was wonderful last time. You brought great information. We did not get a chance to talk as we were just getting ready for this. And the question on my mind was, what is going on with Product Rebel? So this group that you started a few years ago, and I don't have an update. I'm just curious what you've seen evolve.
1: We have um, grown as a team and started to coach more. We've done a couple of things around uh, getting to assess and provide some feedback about what really, this is so perfect for the conversation today. What makes a great product team? And everyone is striving to be better. Everyone is striving to be more of a product-led organization. And every single one has some areas of great strength and there's some areas of um, opportunity. And so we've been doing some assessments. We've been coming in. We've been helping our product leaders and sometimes CEOs of earlier stage companies Get some feedback, get some objective feedback on how is their team doing and then help them with a heat map around. So let's focus here. And this is how we know, because there's so many things to do. We've always got like a a laundry list. Where can you focus and where's the biggest bang for the buck? So between coaching and doing some assessments, that's really what we've been up to since we last talked.
0: Fantastic. Very good. And obviously we'll share contact information later, but if people do want to look into uh, Product Rebels, how, how can they do that?
1: I'd love for you to come to uh, productrebels.com, and then you can reach out directly to me. Um, For your listeners, it's just video at productrebels.com, and I'd be happy to answer any questions.
0: Okay, so so we we got the little catch-up done. Thank you very much. Um, Now, (laughs) on to the meat of the discussion, which is, you know, building great product teams. Let's start with the characteristics. Uh, What do you say are the characteristics of a good product team that is able to create those great products for our customers?
1: I was thinking about this and there's so many characteristics I've could have talked about, but I want to boil it down to three and share what we look for primarily and what we strive for. These are some of the common areas where if this is missing, this is really going to get in the way of becoming great. So the first one of those is a customer mindset. And it's really easy to say those words. There's no one who will say, I don't want a customer mindset. No one who says I'm, I'm not going to be customer first, but here's the key. Great product teams all understand the customer. So as much as we talk and coach product managers to fly that customer flag, to be really responsible for facilitating, for driving those conversations, great product teams are also as involved. And, and I want to give you a couple of examples of this because I think it's something culturally that's driven top down. And it really needs to be supported by, beyond the product team, it needs to be supported by the company in order to enable a great product team. And so this is back at Intuit. One of the things that our GM did was he would come along when there was focus groups. He would come with his senior team and watch customers right alongside with us. And it set the tone, it set the example that the leader Of at that time, the TurboTax division, I think was about six or 700 people. He would take time out of his day to watch customers. So, if he could do this, every single person could. And one other um, example of this this is a different company. And this is one of the ones that we were coaching. And what they would do is to ask every single person on their organization to do a ride along to do a ride along with a salesperson or an account person, or actually with a customer to physically get out of their chair, get away from their office and go watch customers. And it was built in to performance. Every single person once a quarter had to be in front of a customer. And that more than anything drove the sense that we are customer centric. And so for the product team, it's not once a quarter. This is where the engineer and leader would ask their engineers to go along with customers ride along with the product manager in a way that everyone got a chance to do this pretty much every six to eight weeks. And setting that tone, setting that example led to everyone understanding the customer problem, everyone having empathy, everyone truly being on the same page when it came to we know exactly who we're serving and why, <laughs> so that that was one. I know I went long, but I get so passionate about because this is the this is one of the key things that um, anyone can do to become a great product team.
0: I'm so glad you started there, right? I've seen one extreme of this, which is an organization that uh, told all their product managers that they can't talk to customers anymore. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds painful. That's the responsibility of sales. Just, like, we have not. different objectives here. So let, let's be clear about that. <laughs> uh, you might have a comment on that too. And my other example, I loved the opportunity to work for this global company. They had 80 something product managers. And I did my rapid product master experience, the, that RPM experience for them. And I asked the person that brought me in afterwards about what's the big difference that you've seen? And he said, Chad, we're an engineering organization. Most of the people that work on products have an engineering background. We used to start meetings with engineering specifications. That was the language that we spoke in. But what's the specs of the product requirements that we're working on? So now we all of our meetings start with, what does the customer need? We shift to that customer perspective. And I'm so glad you started there that the customer mindset is something not just the product manager needs, yeah. but the product team needs as well
1: absolutely i love that i love that they switched from what is the the metrics or the dashboard what are we looking at what are the signals to let's start with a customer let's start every meeting with something that we've learned or something that's new um or just get inspired by a customer comment in 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 lots of different ways right i just think that's incredible
0: fantastic okay so that that, that's the first essential characteristic customer
1: mindset (laughs) okay let me go to number two And there's been a lot talked about outcome versus output. And and I'm sure you've talked about this and it's part of the conversation that is happening, but I want to dig in a little bit deeper because when we talk about outcome, we're talking about understanding what we're doing and laddering up the work that we do towards the business outcomes and the customer value outcomes that, that we need to serve. And A lot of the time when we go into teams and they're good product teams, they're focused on metrics that sometimes are a little easier to measure. Sometimes they're connected with the delivery, much like the dashboard you just talked about with engineering metrics. What's the throughput? How many points? What's the velocity? These are all output. And a lot of the time teams get pushed into practice into a discipline of thinking about output metrics because it is a little easier to measure and we move away from really thinking about what value are we delivering. So one of the things that we look for and when I think one of the characteristics, again, for a great product team is that they're all thinking about customer value as much as they're thinking about any specific output metrics that they're individually responsible for. And one example of this is we're big proponents of NPS, Net Promoter. I know that can be controversial and some people love it. Some people hate it. But when we come in, if there is no customer value metric, it's often a good place to start because forget about the number itself, but it allows you to think about what am I trying to deliver? What customer value am I trying to deliver? And then understanding how to instrument the work that you do to be able to move the needle. So if you're focused on issues, if there's pain, if the, there's bugs, you're trying to move people to, to become essentially happier, not complaining, they're not experiencing the bug anymore, they're going to move the needle. If you're focused on delight and you really want to focus on those folks who, who love your product and continue to be what we call promoters in, in the net promoter vernacular, Then you know exactly, again, what customer value you're delivering. So it's a really nice outcome-driven metric that drives behavior. It drives action. You know what you need to do in order to support the outcome that you're wanting to deliver. And that outcome is always customer-focused. And so when everybody is aligned, when everyone is thinking in, in that way, and your engineer, your customer support person, your designer we're all on the same page with the ca- customer value the customer outcome that is another characteristic when we've got everyone talking in the same way about that so that's number two
0: okay and we're building a little scaffolding here is that customer mindset and then packaging that a little bit our understanding of the customer into the outcomes that are really going to deliver more value For the customer and hopefully also more value to the organization in turn as we do a better job meeting the customer's needs so on to number three
1: i think about number three as alignment and maybe this is a little shift away from just the the core customer that we talked about but it's an ability to understand the work that the team is doing in support of both the business strategy but also understand how it fits into the product roadmap and the product strategy. And and one of the things that I think is so telling is if we're looking for a leading metric towards greatness is how many people on the team can recite exactly what we're doing and why, what, how the work that they do is laddering up to the business strategy. And one of the things that I think really strong, great product managers do is they continue to repeat. They continue to anchor on the reasons about what we're doing and why we're doing it to the extent that this becomes part of the DNA of the team. They're not just focused on the how. They truly understand both the what and the why. And great product teams, then it unlocks creativity. It unlocks innovation. It unlocks these great new ideas. I think that one piece People take for granted, but a lot of the time, many of the companies we go and see, strategy is something that is presented, it is cascaded down, and then it's on the side and we get on with the work that we do. It doesn't constantly be part of the conversation. And what we found for great product teams is when strategy becomes part of the conversation, when you are, as a product manager, if you're talking about the what and the why, You're setting up your team to be their most creative because you're not prescribing. We're not telling them what to do, how to do it. We're talking about the rationale and the reason and the strategy. And so what I've seen and I love is when everybody in the team is aligned, they all understand this. The product manager on the side is probably sick that you've done it enough when you're absolutely tired of saying it again. And you're like, I can't believe that no one hasn't memorized this. When you get to that place, that it's truly part of the team's DNA, that they understand like where they're heading, and and then they really again can unlock how to get there. So maybe that's a little bit more unusual, but I've seen that as a characteristic of a great product team.
0: Yeah, and and as product managers, it's easy for us to think we talked about strategy, we talked about why this project is important to the organization, why we're doing it at the meeting four weeks ago. We probably need to have it. front and center and frame most of our conversations Uh, because it just doesn't stick until, like you said, everyone really internalizes it. Why is this project really important? What's the difference it's making? And how does my contributions add up to all that? Exactly. So hard to over communicate.
1: Absolutely. And I remember when I used to, part of my working as as a product leader, I would start every conversation and every time we had a meeting, I would anchor on those two Uh, documents like bring up the business strategy and talk about the product strategy. They're linked. The objectives are linked. um, People can understand where we're heading. And then everything else that we talk about, it starts with the biggest picture. So then when people contribute, when people offer, if you're running an ideation session, whatever it is that you do, you've already like reminded people and connected them to the, what's most important. Again, I don't think you can do it enough.
0: Okay. So we have building that customer mindset among the team, not just the product manager, being outcome focused and the alignment to the work that we're doing, why that's important, how that's connected to business strategy as well. Now let's get into some practical tips Mm -hmm. for us about how do we get those things done? How how do we build this better team?
1: I mentioned really briefly, you were kind enough to ask what, what we've been up to. One of the things that I think it's really important and it doesn't have to, of course, be, be our assessment at all. But I think you need to find out where the gaps are. And I think you need to take a really hard look and have an objective assessment of where your team is compared to where industry best practices might be. And this isn't necessarily just people's skills. I think often it's mindset. I also think about resources. and. One of the things, for example, in terms of resources, and you mentioned this in the beginning, is that we go into organizations as well, and the product team doesn't have immediate or direct access to customer data. Whether that is you know, sitting in a sales system, it might be mm. behind a data wall with customer service information, so you have to get a query, you have to put in a request to get certain information a certain way. It's just not directly accessible to the team that needs this information. So there's an example where resources are stopping the team being a great product team. In the same way, in terms of having access and directly talking to customers is the product team. I remember one of the, the organizations I came in as a product leader and nobody on the product team had ever talked to one of our clients. One of our customers was B2B. And I mean, to to me, I, this was my. I came straight from into it. This was it blew me away. And I spent the next three to six months of building in mechanisms and figuring out how we do this in a way that you know the sales team wasn't terrified <laughs> of us doing something crazy, doing it respectfully, doing it in partnership, but also building the case for why it's so important. So just a couple of examples why, but. Assessing where we are in terms of mindset, how are people thinking about this? What's their approach? What are their beliefs? Then there's core competencies. Do we have the skills to be a great team? Do we know how to do research quickly? Do we know how to ideate? Do we know how to build alignment? That those are all skills. Do we know how to tell stories? So there's a set of competencies, and then there's a set of resources, which are the type of examples that I just gave you. So looking at this from these different angles, so it gives you a sense of like where you're strong and then where there's gaps. And every company that we've seen, and we, we ran this with 18 product leaders recently, and they ranged from fairly early stage all the way to really large companies, exceedingly large companies. Every one of them had a slightly different heat map. No one, no company ever is all bright. It's not all green. There's always pockets. And I think having that critical lens, like where is it that that I want to focus? And then choosing as a product leader or as a CEO, if, if you're in a small company, understanding where you want to focus, just pick one area and Dedicate resources and time to solving that one area. Now, like I think you and I would agree, there's a lot around just that customer mindset and access to customers, getting customer data. You know, there might be places where you can absolutely focus, but I think again, lifting back up to that you know 20, 40, 000 foot level, looking at your organization, looking at what at product led companies. And then figuring out where you start and not being overwhelmed if there's 10 different things that you want to do. Really just like picking a specific area to focus. That's the path to getting to a great team. And then you just start knocking them off just like any other backlog, prioritize them and start working on it.
0: Okay. So we get to product manage the building of a great team. (laughs) I want to go back to... You talked about just having access to customer data. Yeah. And I would love an example because I've ran across so many examples when I've been talking to companies and talking to a group of product managers. And we discover there's someone in that group, like they're the expert on how do I get data out of Tableau and our CRM system and link it to this other database, right? They're the one person that knows. And no one else actually in the group even knows that person knows. Or someone over in marketing says, oh, we have all kinds of reports but the product team knows nothing about these at all. What have you ran across? I'm yes. laughing a little bit that <laughs> it's sad, but the data is available. We just don't know about it usually.
1: Yeah, it's either we don't know about it or we have to jump through hoops to get it. Yeah. And so all the examples that you gave, we, we have seen. And I think some of the saddest are when you have to put in a request that goes into a financial analyst or a business analyst query line, and then you have to wait. And you have to argue that it's important. And so this becomes something that then, the I think the harmful piece of this is that because it's so difficult, there's a set of queries that just get created and then they just run because it's simpler to have something to run monthly or run weekly and spit out a report that you look at versus truly having access to the data. And then we call it like we, you know, we, we at Product Rebels, we talk about sort of interrogating the data. We, we love sort of hunting for insight. But you can't do that if you're just given the same format over and over again. There's so many great tools that make it so easy for us to be able to to look at the information. You don't have to be an expert anymore in, in understanding or be the, be the tableau person on the team. But I think unlocking and having access to certain amounts of data If the finance team or the business or the data team could do this and give you access that the product managers can directly or partner with someone who is an expert. Now, I remember one situation where we had an amazing data scientist on the team. And one of the the, the hardest things was he wanted us to be able to articulate exactly what we wanted to see. And where we ended up getting to, which I think was so interesting, was us describing our hypotheses around what we thought the customer needed based on much more really qualitative qualitative data and then once we created a set of hypotheses he could then go in and see and he knew how to create and put the information together as a quant query. I think That was a much more complicated system, I think, in this world that we're living in with large data models and all sorts of things being accessible. I think it's even more important to go back to what we think are our basics and have clear hypotheses, clear sort of understanding of the customer as something that we want to prove or disprove with data and then figure out and have access to the information so that we can actually make a decision.
0: That's a very good way of putting that. I I like where you ended up with that data scientist example, right? I I can appreciate the data scientist saying, tell me what you need. (laughs) We have lots of data. I can find the data for you. But wrapping it in the hypotheses of what we think with the customer, what we think we know about them, what we think they would expect, that's a great way to partner with the data scientist. Okay, so we got some things about building a team. Anything else on that you want to hit right now?
1: No, I think the only other thing I would say as a bonus in terms of building a team is think about end-to-end. A lot of the time, again, from a product perspective, we would say our expectation of a great product manager is that they are thinking about all the connective tissue, all the points. They're thinking end-to-end experience. But great teams, I think, bring those people along with you. It's not just the immediate team around our developers our designers. But who else is in that support system? Who else is talking to the customer, the marketing team, the the customer success team, your sales team? And and how do you all think about that end-to-end experience? So when we, from a product perspective, are changing something, we've got a group of people. It's not on us. We've got a group of people that immediately thinks about that end-to-end experience. So that's the only other thing that I would say. For me, great product teams are really great organizations. They're great customer-centered organizations, because again, it becomes more natural to think about the end-to-end and you're not just the only person who's trying to bring this type of thinking into the room.
0: That's a good connection to the next question I want to ask you, which was, we're talking about product teams. Mm. Data scientists have come up so far. Who should be on this team? What roles are the team members on a good product team?
1: This is, I think the core, which is probably textbook, is you've got your triad, you've got your product manager, you've got your designer, you've got your developer, and a lot of the time, I think for SaaS products, for technical products, that that theory is something that a lot of teams strive for. It's the triad, and people build up all sorts of groups around it. But I think, to me, the answer is it's really it depends. You know, what industry are you in? What, what are you trying to achieve? Who's your customer? I've had customers on my team because. They are so invested in building the solution that I've actually had customers volunteer people who are dotted line members of our team and they work with us. They actually, one team, one product we had, they flew out to do user acceptance testing because they, were, they felt like it was their product. So I think you need to go back to what am I trying to deliver? What's the outcome? And then who are the key stakeholders that need to be core team, and then start building out, whether it's your, your DC or your RACI model for who's involved, who's the decision makers, who needs to be informed and think about who's really the core that has to be part of this decision. And so if you do include, no, I sometimes you do include salespeople, you include account people, you include customer success people, It's not limited to just the core technical product team. It really depends on what you're trying to do, what outcome you're trying to deliver, and then who needs to be there to make this successful. So that is really how I think about customer teams these days. Whereas when I was working more on product, I probably would have come straight to the textbook, which is here's who we need and let's go. And without the three people and they all have their part, they're all working together, but I think in reality, and, and lots of we work a lot with healthcare, we work a lot with fintech, there are just more people involved in this team. Now, are they sitting at a desk? Are they coding? You know, are they designing 100%? No. But they, to me, are an integral part of the team. So I start now with more like a stakeholder map. I think about who's the core, where's my customer, who do I need to achieve, and then who needs to be there? And then work with the people in the organization to make sure that I've got the people that I need to make this successful.
0: Yeah. So I do it from a stakeholder management perspective, who really has a vested interest, the ones that are really going to be impacted by the decision, not just the onlookers that think this is interesting and want to be part of it, but really impacted by the decision. And I think about building out the team from that perspective. There's all kinds of questions I could follow up on the team, but <laughs> one thing that I have probably have heard more times than not is... Teams just feeling like their resources are running way too thin. Mm. The product teams are stretched across so many different projects, Mm -hmm. given the switching time between projects. they really don't have time to make progress on anything. Mm. What do you put in place to measure the team performance in some sense so that the team themselves can say, oh, that's the thing that if we work on, that's going to help us improve as a team. And we're going to feel better about the value that we're creating for the customer, right? The, I don't know if this is metrics or how you think about this, but how can we help that team reflect on their performance?
1: A couple of things in terms of your question. What I first went to as you started this was there's a lot of teams that are overworked and there's a lot on their backlog and yep. it doesn't stop. The flow of potential work to do is, is never ending. And so a lot of the time, I think this is a prioritization problem. This isn't a team problem. This is a leadership problem in terms of not having clear direction and not providing the team's focus. And that to me really does come from the top. You've got to make trade offs. You just can't have it all because it doesn't matter how great your team is. They just can't do everything that well. And so we go back to, we just have a really simple prioritization framework where you're starting to think about the inputs that matter, um, whether they're business, customer, this could be revenue targets, this could be retention, whatever it is that you're trying to do. But you have to get aligned as a leadership team on what is it that's really important. And then you've got to weight it. You've got to make some decisions. This is your job as a leader. Um, You've got to say what the most important are. And then you've got really a filter that the product team can run through every piece of work that they have. And when they've got that, they're going to get some directional. We never say any matrix or any spreadsheet is going to give you, it's not going to spit out an answer, but it's going to directionally tell you if something is truly more important than the other, or if something's equally important, and you've really just got to make a trade-off, you've got to say which one. And so I think from a product team perspective, you've got to put the brakes on because the more that you feed um, this beast of continuing projects and continuing work, the more it will happen. And I'm not saying this is easy, but there are frameworks and there are ways to approach the conversation about trade-offs and to work in partnership. We very much believe in a dialogue. We believe in how do you get on the same page. with putting the stakes in the ground for what's important. And then together you're coming out with a joint directional decision on what the work that you need to do. And then I think the product team has an area of focus. So that I think is the place that that I would start because I don't tend to look at the team or it's it's inadequacies in the team. I think when you're just given too much to do and that pressure is on, it is really hard to make a difference and succeed in that type of environment. And I have yet to see a team that can do it.
0: So go back to what are the priorities? What's the strategy? Let's get alignment around what we're doing in support of the strategy and get help from our senior leaders too. Okay. There's so many other great things we could talk about, but... (laughs) as i'm going to ask you for a innovation quote and what that means to you why you chose that one for us because we like innovation quotes around here so what do you have for us
1: okay so i have a slightly different one i chose the one from brene brown and she says there is no innovation and creativity without failure so that's my quote (laughs) should i tell you why i chose that yes please (laughs) So she is a, she's a shame researcher. She talks a lot about vulnerability and she's very well known. I love a lot of what she says about being courageous and being brave. The reason I like that is there's two pieces of this. One is the sense of embracing failure and the ability to think about everything that you try is not going to work. And so there is discipline, right? It's not just like blindly throw things at the wall But have an approach, have a perspective on how you're going to to try and reduce your sense of failure by having hypotheses, by thinking about where am I focused, where am I prioritizing, and and start to think about where is it that I can take risk. And then the second part of this is embrace it when you learn. So one of the things, and I'm going back again to sort of my Intuit days, but we actually for a while there, because we believed in perfection, we work in fintech. Really, you, you don't want to get your taxes right. You've got to be exactly right. The same is true for balancing your books. So we had a mindset of it has got to be right. And a lot of the experts who are amazing, deep subject matter experts really had the sense of responsibility and accountability to our customer about getting it. So one of the things that came from leadership was how do you embrace failure? How do you take calculated risks, not with core calculations, but in terms of being able to explore very innovative and different solutions to deep customer needs and customer pain. And so one of the things that happened was the showcase the failure. And in the beginning, it was tough. It's tough to talk about Um, what did you do wrong? But when you frame it, and this is the hypothesis that I had, this is what I believe to be true. Then I went out and I tested it cheaply. I put some concepts, I put some prototypes, I put this in front of customers, and boy, was I wrong. That kind of, when you bookend it with, this is what I believe, and this is what I've learned, that failure is cushioned in a way that allows other people to feel safe in taking risk to me this whole kind of this quote around innovation and creativity without failure you've got to be ready to say i'm taking a risk it's a calculator risk i think i know and i think i've learned but when i get it wrong that's fantastic because now it points me in a direction that i'm in such a better shape for it
0: and you got it wrong before you built something And you feel more attached to that thing that you built. Again, the hypothesis approach and getting evidence to support or or to just prove. Really good information. Great insights. People might want to find out more about resources you have available. Where are good places to go to learn about you and the work that you're doing?
1: I'd love for people to check out the work that we have on productrebels.com. We... Is spend time talking about the foundations in our groundwork program. We wrote a book on it called Groundwork. You can find it on Amazon. And it speaks to the core of what makes product teams great. And we boil down a lot of consulting, a lot of w- our work between Heather and I, and, and now our team. Gosh, there's probably like hundreds of years of, of product experience in there. But really, I'd love for people to, to take a look. All the templates that we have in terms of foundations are free to download. And then, as I mentioned before, and and you were kind enough to ask, um, this assessment that we've been doing for product teams is something that goes across um, mindsets. It goes across competencies and resources and helps build a heat map of where your organization is compared to best practice and point you towards the direction of where you might be able to start. So thank you for asking, Chad.
0: Very good. And I'm sure people can find out more about that tool as well at productrebels.com and engage with you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being with us again, Vidya. And thanks for the great information on what makes a good product team and how to make a great product team.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: And once again, listeners, if you want those resources, the written summary of everything we talked about, if that would be helpful to you, as well as that one-page action guide to help you put into action the key takeaways from Vidya, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 463. Everyone, keep innovating.
1: Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical
0: knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product
1: master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.